everybody, welcome to our very first Garden Revival BBQ. The BBQ, of course, stands for Big Burning Questions, because what else would they stand for? With us today, we have Zappy Snaps and Pasadora. Hello. Hey there. So, how are you guys doing today? Well, I'm doing pretty okay. The gardening season's winding down, so only one <laughs> one shift outside today, and the rest of the time I get to stay nice and toasty warm inside. It's a pretty nice change. I bet Passy's jealous of your Pacific Northwest climate. Yeah, it is minus 30 outside right now for me. <laughs> I am in the I'm so sorry. Day. I guess I should probably introduce myself. I am IG, the server's illegal guardian, and with me is my tech guy, my husbunny, and the guy that puts up with me every day. Thank you so much, Space Butler. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be contractually obligated to to be at this uh, this BBQ. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> So, Zappy, you grew up in an organic farm, received a biology degree, and work as a professional gardener now. Yep. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> you um, have indoor plants, outdoor plants. I'm sorry? Oh, I was just saying I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, that sounds like you're living the dream. Have you always wanted to do this? Um... No, um, no. I mean, kind of. So I always, when I was a kid, I always imagined myself either being a farmer when I was a grown up, or being a photographer for National Geographic, or oh. uh, being a bush pilot up in Alaska. Because hey, it's not know. too late for either of those things. <laughs> um. But I actually, I got my degree in biology, and then I I wanted to be a teacher, and I taught middle school science for a while, I taught middle school math, I taught elementary, but the whole time I've been alive, like, my first job, my first job was an under, the well, I shouldn't say that, uh, my first job was doing yard work for neighbors, <laughs> <laughs> um, and throughout the whole time I've had houseplants and I've done yard work for people so it's it was kind of like oh wait why don't I just do this you know but yeah I, yeah I I didn't intend to end up here but I'm really glad I ended up here and it looking back it seems like well duh of course <laughs> but it took and me now, and now you know that ever you want to make a change it's totally possible and that's a oh, good thing to know for yeah. everyone for sure. And Passy, you have an ecology degree and a very cool job. And I've heard you mention something about going to Mordor. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing. It's a, it's probably the best way I describe that place. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I always kind of loved plants. And um, the university kind of pushed me from one area where I really enjoyed plants, which was kind of the molecular side and agriculture side, 
uh, more into the ecology side and I got really interested in kind of how plants just how they interact with one another and how they interact with their environment and how they kind of make choices I say with quotey fingers with that word because it's not really a choice but how, how they kind of how they have these incredibly complex systems that they use to kind of weigh the pros and cons of situations and um after I graduated, yeah, I, I did a couple different jobs with a few different kind of plant-related things, most of which that I hated, not going to lie. Um, and then I fell into this job with environmental consulting. Um, but yeah, one of the projects that I'm on is working with, uh, working in like the Alberta tailings ponds. Um, and tailing water is super bad. <laughs> I wish put this in a better way but it is it is full of a lot of nasty stuff and so these ponds are you know you don't want to go in them you don't want to be in them you don't want anything going in them yeah and so it's like this like you'll see these lakes where just like everything around it is dead and brown um and it looks just like mordor because of that because it's just like dirt dust awful water and dead plants <laughs> i wonder if the all the TV shows that film in Vancouver, if they maybe want to use that as an alien I planet. Mean, it's, it would be a good backdrop, but I can't imagine <laughs> many actors or actresses would be, or human beings in general would be okay with going out on that water. That's too bad because every time there's a different planet on one of these shows, there's always these very recognizable ferns in the background that you just know this was filmed in Canada. <laughs> totally. There's so many shows filmed on the West Coast because, like, they have just such a nice temperate rainforest. And yeah. it just looks so good on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so jealous of those ferns, I gotta say. I can never grow ones that big and keep them alive. <laughs> I've seen some in, of all places, I've seen some in like remote northern Alberta, which was kind of shocking. It was it was on a separate nice. project where they're rehabilitating caribou habitat, which is super cool. And yeah, I got to see like a bunch of weird, like mysterious plants that I, I just never thought I would get to see. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, moving Moving on to your... Well, your garden that is indoors because you live in, is it zone three? It's a frozen hellscape, yeah. <laughs> and do you grow mostly cacti? You seem to have a lot. Yeah, I have a, a shitload of cacti. I used to have a bunch of orchids, but those I've been slowly kind of giving away to people. And I've been kind of moving into, like, tropical fruit plants now. Um, oh, but, that's interesting. Yeah, which are, like, just as fragile <laughs> and couldn't live in my environment at all. So, you know, I'm really picking winners. Yes, I know that you really envy people in tropical climates. You got some idea. <laughs> you know, one time somebody on the server asked uh, uh, if you could, what's the best zone? So it got mm. me thinking, if you could garden anywhere, where would it be? It wouldn't be my zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. I'd probably want to go to like a zone eleven or zone twelve. There's oh, like you would lose out. You'd lose out on complete opposite. Yeah, you'd lose out on growing cold plants, but like yeah. those are the only things I interact with on a day to day basis. So I'm pretty over them. 
You know, I think zone nine is a happy medium because you can still grow tulips and peonies, but you get to grow a lot of stuff that would die in any zone that's more north. Some very cool, almost tropical stuff. I think BC gets to have that zone too, which is like yeah, yeah. No, that I'm in zone. (laughs) Well, I'm in zone eight, and I think. I am extremely lucky in a lot of ways because I'm a maritime climate zone eight, so we have very mild temperature fluctuations over the course of the year. Like, we just barely, you know, we usually freeze, but we don't get much yeah. colder than that, and it's like that yeah. for months. And then usually our summers don't get above 90 degrees, though, of course, this year, was a really big exception because there was the huge heat wave. Um, 90 is quite hot to me. Yeah, but it's usually only 90 for like one day at the most, right? But um, (laughs) (laughs) so like our climate is great. We get to grow so many fruits. So like raspberries and blueberries and gooseberries and hardy kiwis and not hardy kiwis. Like fuzzy kiwis grow here, which always surprises people. Um, because they're like, what? I thought that was tropical. It's like, well, yeah, I was surprised. (laughs) Right. Um, and then like, we also aren't that far from the tropics. So if I really, really want to, like, I can have a hoop house and do nutty things like growing passion fruit. (laughs) Yeah. Which you do. Yeah, which I do, and, like, right now I have a hoop house, and out in the hoop house I have some orange, like, baby citrus trees, right? Like, they're not, Mm -hmm. only one of them's fruiting yet. I've got pineapple in the ground, and they're perfectly happy. That um, is amazing. Because they're the hoop house. How much warmer is it in there? About 10 to 20 degrees, especially because they're right up against... Oh, wow. I feel... 55 gallon barrels with water to use as a heat sink so that That's they absorb cool. you know warmth during the day and release it at night and the other thing is is i might be technically zone eight but i live right next to a bowling alley with a very large <laughs> parking lot so there's definitely the urban heat island effect going on because i don't think <laughs> yeah ever been colder than 26 degrees here so nice yeah that's nice and i i mean i wouldn't want to live i keep telling myself i wouldn't want to live in the tropics because there's things like blueberries that need dormancy periods yeah i couldn't have blueberries anymore and also they have some really huh that's a trade i'll make (laughs) (laughs) so they also have like so many more insects and um yeah you know alligators or whatever i'm like i don't want to deal with that i know poor bear beer is really struggling there's no winter to kill off the white fly so they just never die she never gets to start fresh that just sounds terrible it does so sorry (laughs) so you don't have zone envy so you're perfectly happy where you are you know, I have to I have to work at it every time I see someone growing a mango tree. Like, oh. <laughs> But yeah, no, I keep providing myself blueberries and way less insects. Okay. 
That's great. So do you guys have any new gardening plants for next year? What are you planning to order? Some seeds? Some interesting plants? What's happening? You want to start that yeah. or do you want me to? Sure. Oh, you go first, yeah. Okay. Go I, ahead, Cassie. Uh, I have found a couple new sources for a bunch of different cacti seeds, so I was going to be picking up yeah. a bunch of those, as I do. Um, but I've also found actually a couple sources for various things, like uh, just a bunch of different tropical trees. So I was definitely going to be growing those. And I think... I have this one Solanum species that's not doing so hot, and I think it might kick the bucket. It's that one that I have that uh -huh. the fruit tastes like Green Jolly Ranchers, and I really want to try it. So I'm going to uh -huh. be ordering seeds from there, and while I'm at it, I'm probably just going to buy a, like one or two packs of every other seed on that store while I'm at it. Sure. You know, got to save on shipping. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I hate money, right? So if I could get rid of money, <laughs> really? I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get rid of that stuff. Oh, that explains a lot. A... <laughs> oh yes, I yes, I I'm good at some things like spending money on plants. I gotta give myself credit where credit is due. <laughs> give yourself what a pat I... on the back for that one. All right, all right, just did. It felt nice. <laughs> so Zappy, is there any money burning a hole in your pocket? Any plant um, money? <laughs> uh, I have some plans. I wouldn't say there's money burning a hole, but I'm still going to spend some. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also uh, growing tropical fruit indoors, but it really sounds like you're ahead of me out there um, in Zone 3. Because uh, <laughs> I just was finding out what well, someone else was talking about. They're growing a dwarf papaya indoors <laughs> and i'm like i'm okay. not i'm not getting that shipped to me right now but you know once once we're you know above 50 degrees at night i'm gonna go ahead and order a dwarf papaya and i'm really well, excited to see well, if i can get that to not get it aren't papayas like stupid hey, growing trees i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's supposed to be a dwarf papaya and I'm like okay so if it's a dwarf you know so it's supposedly supposed to start fruiting within two or three feet of height and I'm like that oh, wow. can underneath my grow lights oh absolutely that's nothing you can fit a couple of those in yeah yeah so they'll join my passion fruit <laughs> um, and then on the food nerdier side of things in my climate um, you can't grow soybeans usually because it usually doesn't get hot enough. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun making wow. tempeh at home. So this is nerdery, <laughs> fermenting your own <laughs> tempeh. But fava beans grow really well here. So I'm going to try and grow <laughs> a patch of fava beans enough to nice. uh, make, you know, several pounds of tempeh because that sounds like a fun challenge. And who knows if it'll taste good, but I want to try. That sounds awesome. I think maybe our audience wants their questions answered now. <laughs> so <laughs> what's the first question, Space Butler? Okay, so 
Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of questions here, and uh, Mickhap writes in and says, uh, asks, what's the best universal soil mix you can make for your plants at home? <laughs> you want me to go first? Sure. sure yes. Okay. I don't think there is a universal <laughs> soil mix um, because there's such a wide variety of needs that plants have. So, you know, a sundew or some other carnivorous plant like a Venus flytrap, they're going to want boggy, acidic soil. And there's other plants that are going to want alkaline soil. So there's no mix <laughs> that's universal enough to do both of those things, right? So what I generally do is I have a standard mix that I make, and then I modify it from there. And so my standard mix is, well, I mix up about one part coconut coir to one part sandy loam to one part perlite. And sometimes I add some sand in there or whatever. And like, I use that for starting seeds, right? That's my standard for starting seeds. And then if it's houseplants, mm -hmm. I'll cut that 50% <laughs> with perlite uh, to increase the drainage a lot, like general houseplants, which I should be specific. So like my monsteras, right? Um, or my atatascantias. If it's a succulent, I'll cut that in half again because <laughs> I live in mm -hmm. a very humid place. So I need a soil that's going to really dry out quickly. Yeah. But then what thing I'm you really growing... have to consider is your growing conditions. The temperature, yes. how fast things dry out, how humid it is. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and even how warm your house is compared to someone else and how much mm -hmm. light the plants are getting because that's going to affect their metabolism. So someone who lives somewhere that's arid where like stuff actually dries out, they're going to need different soil uh, conditions than I will. And then even with that basic mix, when I have a sundew, I throw that all out the window and they're in sphagnum moss. There's nothing else in there because they need mm -hmm. that boggy condition, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. So really, I, I would suggest, especially if you want to do like, you know, like a more general mix is look up the kind of plant that you're trying to grow and find out what conditions it likes growing in and, yeah. and just kind of mimic that. And even if you can't nail it exactly on the head, just find things that, you know, are extremely close or things that are just really neutral, like using perlite, as Zappi mentioned, that doesn't have like any, you know, like pH strength or anything like that. It's not going to drive the soil or the medium into a condition that the plant's not going to be comfortable with. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, it seems like there's no silver bullet for this uh, for this question. Uh, so uh, <laughs> another question here, uh, Yuki writes in and, and asks, what medium is the best for orchids so they grow roots and flower frequently? My vanillas are so thin, I want to make them thick and plump. Uh Did you want to answer that one, or do you want me to? Oh, definitely not. You should do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think if you want to plumpen up an orchid, the best success I've had with that is actually just getting it into a really, really humid environment. 
Um, my orchids have never looked better than the time when they were actually in nearly a 90% humidity environment. And it was like quite warm, very humid, but you do want to make sure that you have a lot of airflow because if there's a lot of humidity and it's very warm and there's no airflow, you could just invite a bunch of fungi to grow on your plants, which can damage them, obviously. Um, for flowering, I'm not sure about vanilla orchids. Um, I know orchids frequently either go off of the length of the day or the length of the night. Um, unfortunately, to mimic that in nature is really difficult if you're growing it indoors because even just small amounts of light, like if it's in the kitchen and you turn on like, you know, so you open up the microwave, the light from inside the microwave can actually throw off the plant's internal clock and it can make it hard for the plant to kind of think of what time of the year it is. So getting it into an environment where it'll only get natural sunlight and no other light could help with flowering, but I'm not sure about getting it to artificially flower all the time unless you have hormones for that. Aside that's, from that, that's so wow, okay. Aside from that, for growing orchids, aside from the terrestrial ones, which I don't think they usually sell, usually the orchids that you can buy in stores, they just like they just like bark, like bark chips. But I've even seen people grow orchids very happily in chunks of styrofoam. As weird as that is. Oh my god, it what? <laughs> it doesn't break down, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hold water which is also really nice and orchids can kind of just stick to it. And so if you have styrofoam that you were going to throw out, you could break it into chunks and use that for orchids. I'm not going to recommend buying styrofoam to do that because that's a pretty wasteful thing to do. But if you have it lying around, you know, you could try that. Yeah. One thing I want to mention on the orchids is there are actually two groups that are sold um, that are terrestrial orchids which is the silver, silver squill plant is actually a terrestrial orchid. And they've been in the market for a while, but the other one that's really cool that I'm uh, learning more about is um, they're called lightning orchids or dual orchids. They're another terrestrial. And I don't know, they're just really cool. If you haven't seen pictures of them, the pictures do not do them justice because they like literally glitter in the light, they're amazing. And uh, what's interesting about them is they, a lot of their growers actually grow them in sphagnum moss, which is not, <laughs> you know, not what I would have thought for a terrestrial orchid, but there you go. Mm. Interesting. All right. Uh, next, we've got a question from Plato who asks, What's a plant that is determined to be easier to grow indoors than outdoors, not weather dependent? Is there such a plant? Ooh, I really liked this question. I really like this question <laughs> um, because I think aside from the weather dependent, if if you remove that clause, okay, I would say yes, because based on my location, I can't grow shit. Right. If I put it outside, it'll just die. And so for me, everything is easier indoors. But once you factor in climate and weather, I think if I lived in the same climate that my plants naturally grow in, I cannot think of a way where it is easier for me to grow it indoors than outdoors. Because essentially every house is a cave for a plant and plants need sunlight and they'll just never get good amounts of sunlight indoors. 
that's not what they're adapted to, so not ideal for them, of course. I think if that if that you know not weather dependent clause wasn't there, I'd give a hard yes. But I think with that there, <laughs> I'd I'd have to say probably not. I think if you were living in the same environment as what a plant naturally lives in, it would just prefer to be outdoors. Yeah, I have to agree. And the only thing I can think of is with some of the variegated plants that people have come up with, like the Alba monsters or whatever. I suspect that they might be maybe easier to grow indoors just That's because they're going to be they're more delicate right like they're more prone to mm-hmm, sunburn they're yeah. more prone to low to turning brown because of low humidity so if you've created something i'm wondering if those ones might be better suited to indoors and like i haven't tried a scantia that's also variegated and the one outdoors is uh <laughs> technically it's in a spot where it should be hardy, but it's kind of rough. And I think it's because of the, those white areas. Um, mm-hmm. And also, <laughs> this is kind of funny, uh, but I have goats. And I've noticed that sometimes they have a preference for variegated plants. I don't know why. What? I don't know why. I think goats are just, they just want to eat what you don't want them to eat. <laughs> so. I also wonder, again, with varieties that humans have created or bred for or selected for, if uh, pest pressure might be a factor. But, you know, in general, just like Passy said, it's going to do best where it evolved. Yep. All right. Um Xenogerm asks, how do I know which plants can be pruned to the ground and which are better to leave with bare limbs for the fall and winter? Okay, so I'm going to take this one, and I think there's a few different categories. The first category is whether it's truly a woody plant or if it's a herbaceous plant. So if it's a herbaceous plant um, that doesn't really have truly woody stems, Usually, yeah, you can cut it down unless you're keeping it up for like echinaceas around here are often left because they hold on to their seed heads all winter and the birds like to eat them, right? So if you have a reason, you can leave it up. Otherwise, if it's turned brown and it's not woody, you can cut it down for the winter. The other category is woody plants. Um, So your shrubs, your raspberries your trees and whatever so if it's a tree (laughs) most of the time uh (laughs) you don't cut it down (laughs) and i say most of the time because there are always exceptions so one of the exceptions around here are uh red twig and yellow twig dogwoods which are grown for their winter uh color the color of their twigs but what you do is you cut them down (laughs) not at the start of winter, but like at the end, right? Um, Because the new growth is what's vibrant and yellow and bright red. So part of their care is cutting them down because otherwise the bark thickens up and it just looks like a normal tree instead of this bright yellow blaze of what is going on there. Um, (laughs) The other uh, sort of thing to keep in mind is For flowering and fruiting plants, for example, raspberries, there's two kinds, two types 
of raspberries, the primocane and the fluorocane, and one type, primocane, flowers and fruits on this year's growth, right? And the other one, the fluorocane, flowers and fruits on last year's growth. So if you cut down fluorocane in the fall, you're not getting fruit the next year. But primocane, sure, go ahead, wax it down. No one cares. Um, <laughs> so knowing what your plant's requirements for flying are, <laughs> fruiting and flowering are, is really important. And the other thing to keep in mind uh, is, especially with mm, older shrubs, sometimes people want to do a renovation where they cut it all the way down. And so there are conditions, yes, where like with a lilac or a hydrangea, sometimes you're like, you know what, you are looking pretty, mm, not so great. And you whack it down and the next year it comes back and it's not going to flower that first year, but the year after it will. So that was a long and wordy answer, but hopefully, hopefully it covered what you were asking. I think knowing Zeno's situation, he lives in zone nine and has a very late winter. Mm. So by the time uh, it's really time to cut things down, they are so past their prime and they're looking bad. Yeah. And Zeno isn't sure when it's okay to cut. And I think my advice would be for herbaceous perennials to look at their hardiness zone. If mm-hmm. they are hardy in a cold zone, chances are they would have died all the way down to the ground anyway. So it's pretty safe to cut everything off. What do you think, so- Sappy? In general, I would say yes, but there's a few exceptions as always. So like hellebores are very mm-hmm. hardy and I prefer to leave their foliage. It stays green all winter long, but it looks radier and yeah. radier. So I like to cut those off right before the new growth starts going. Um, so that's one exception. And then this winter <laughs> has been weird for our area and it's functioned much closer to a zone nine wood. Um, and things like crocosmia are starting to grow again. And it's like, no, it's December. You should be dormant. What are you doing? Stop. Um, so, so I, you know, I used to be like, yeah, wait until it's brown before you cut it down. And now I'm like, okay, you get cut down at the end of October because you're going to restart growing and I'm not messing around with that. So, Cause the other thing is, is when the day length is shorter and mm-hmm. the temperatures are colder, you're not going to be getting that much activity, that much photosynthesis happening anyway. So they're not really doing much. So I would say as soon as it's, you know, I'm going to be meaner to my plants from now on, <clears throat> but as soon as it's colder than 40 degrees, they're getting trimmed next year. That's a good strategy. Yeah. What's next, Space Butler? All right. All right. Uh, so this is going to be a uh, um, very difficult question. Uh, Cat Arts asks, what's your favorite plant? <laughs> that is a very difficult question. I don't have a favorite. That's like asking a parent if they have a favorite child, which they, <laughs> they probably do, but they'll never admit it. Oh. <laughs> oh goodness. Um yeah, I can't pick just one. I could sit here and go category by category and be like, well, my favorite berry is my favorite native 
flower is but yeah no there's there's too many awesome plants um it's easier to tell you what my most hated plants are (laughs) okay i'll take that okay so um my most hated right now is japanese knotweed because it's an invasive species where i live and it grows very Mm. vigorously and it is most impossible to get rid of um so i don't like that one I like it because of that. I like the fact that it can grow through literal sheet metal. That's so okay, great for go. you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I could do that, especially uh, in a zone three. If it lives there, it kind of feels like, well, hey, it it lives here. That it deserves uh, to live. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, that that question was impossible. Uh, like I, I kind of <laughs> kind of guessed. Uh, let's move on. Um, uh, Xenogerm asks: Are there any good compendiums for all cultivars of all plants? Uh, I'm thinking this moment might be a no, but uh, uh, do you have any uh, good compendiums in general to uh, uh, to recommend? That's really tricky. Unfortunately, I don't think there is any good compendiums for like all cultivars, just because there's so many. Like there's so, so, so many. You know, if you deal with even just apples, there's I think well over a thousand oh, at this Lord. point. And yeah. You know, there's other ones too where like they're questionably legal if they're allowed in certain countries or they're not legal, like cannabis, and there's a ton of cultivars there that have very specific needs. So I think your best bet when it comes to cultivars would actually just unfortunately be your best friend Google. Um, (laughs) Just because as far as I'm aware, I have yet to come across any kind of compendium, which is even just for like, like a genus isn't really that cohesive, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Um, Because the other thing is, is there's constantly... Not only are there constantly new cultivars being developed, but there's new species being found. So it is being updated constantly. And like, there's, I don't know if there's more than one, but there's at least an international cultivar registration authority thingy. Um, But I'm not sure how user friendly that is. And I honestly haven't actually, actually looked into it. I just, you know, was reading on one of the forums and people were arguing about something was a cultivar or not. And they were like, well, it's not registered there. I was like, okay. (laughs) I was thinking Um, that maybe plants get registered in different countries with different, uh, I guess, uh, intellectual property. What are they there? Well, that's copyright, I guess. Yeah. Different. Um, I guess they're plant patents. Yeah, well, I think so there's different patents uh, and copyrights. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know of anything that's super useful for that, unfortunately. And yeah. you know, people are looking for it. Like, I'm a member of a group for Stratoscantia, obvious. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're trying to make a website with all the cultivars, and they are trying really hard. And yeah. new ones keep popping up, and they have no agreement on all the names. And yeah. Unfortunately, no. 
seen one website that's dedicated just to uh, registering and like cataloging all the different species and cultivars for orchids. It is incredible, and it was very expensive for a subscription, unfortunately. Oh, wow. I I bet. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I can't see a single source for all plants. I I would love it, Um, but yeah, I don't see it. All right. Uh, So we got an interesting question here from Plato. Uh, Do plants have sentient feelings? That's a very philosophical question from Plato. It is. <laughs> Makes sense. See yeah. what I did there? I, mean, <laughs> I feel like the first step would be to define what you mean by sentient, but, you know, yeah, this is an unending argument. <laughs> I do think with the qualifier sentient, I would have to say no. Um, just because yeah. sentient almost always implies that the thing has, like, it's capable of thinking, and thinking means that it usually has a brain, uh, although it doesn't always mean that something that has a brain can think, you know, like anybody who's seen a drunk person knows he, that's just not oh, the case. Um, however, <laughs> I think because, like, sentient feelings, I, unfortunately not. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that, like, I think... So I was thinking from a lay person's perspective, because like you see those articles where which are like, oh, the trees are communicating. It's like they're sending chemical messages back and forth. Bacteria can do that. So it's not it's not communicating the way a lot of people think of communicating, where it's like subject, verb, you know, (laughs) there's none of that. It's and I think something like Oh, something something actually on on the whole like plants are communicating thing uh i have read there's this one book it's called like the secret life of trees okay and in the book the author describes how like plants are you know like they sustain one another if one's been injured through this fungal network but the thing is sustain implies that they're helping intentionally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we can't determine if there's actually intention behind this for all we know that plant could actually be parasitizing the other plants and so it's really hard to make those kind of like generalizations over intent especially when it's an organism like a plant yeah and (laughs) i mean this would be a side track that could go on but it's also really interesting because they found that in forests of redwoods there's some albino members that survive and it's not because of a fungal network, it's because their roots have grafted in with other trees. Wow. And That's there's so also, cool. it's super cool. And there's also in Doug fir forests, there's actually one right near my house. Uh, if there's a stump and the bark has healed over that stump and the stump's not dead, that's because the stump has root grafted with nearby trees. And the nearby trees are providing it with carbohydrates and it's providing them with minerals, extra mineral and water uptake, right? So again, I don't think there's any <laughs> intentionality there, but it is super cool what trees can do. It is very so cool. you can have a, a stump that is basically still alive? Yeah, like a zombie stump. It doesn't have any branches, it doesn't <laughs> have any leaves, it's just the root. And the stump. Oh. Like, there's one in my, uh, across, a couple blocks away. And it's just sitting there, it's about a foot tall, the bark has healed over, it's still alive! But yeah. Wow. Interesting. 
All right. Uh, well, speaking of, of trees, uh, Exotic has a, uh, has a stumper here. Um, oh. What's a better tree? A, uh, a lime tree or a lemon tree? And uh, he, he specifies honest opinions only. So if any of you are employed by the Lime Tree Growers Association, you have to reveal that. I have no financial connections to Big Lemon, okay? Um, I will say I know somebody who is growing a lemon tree, and he complains constantly about the fact that he has so many lemons and he has no idea what to do with them all. Oh, so no, we're the head, a problem. That, that is a problem you can have. Um, I wouldn't mind having a key lime tree, personally. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, that looks a little I'm... bit like a lemon. I, You're I splitting the go... difference there. <laughs> I'm going to go with lemons just because there's people in BC, which is north of me, who are growing and getting lemons to fruit outdoors, which is super cool. And so, like, wow. it, I can get <laughs> a food from a plant that just, you know, with minimal effort, that, that, that raises its esteem in my eyes you know because like limes they needed a bit warmer but i could have lemons <laughs> i'm gonna put my two cents in i agree with lemons because i pick plants on the basis of how pretty they are and the variegated eureka lemons are so cool mm. looking so yeah they are yeah i don't think i would uh risk uh, growing one because i am not good at this <laughs> But I will admire them from afar. All right. Uh, so Exotic has another question here. What's the best gardening book and why? You got any book recommendations? I have loads of book recommendations, but none are specific. I mean, none are like, this is the best book ever. You know, I have. Uh, you know, and it depends on who's asking the question. Like, if you're a beginner gardener, I might say, hey, look into square foot gardening. It's just, like, super basic, easy, approachable for people who have zero experience gardening before, right? I really like, um, there's this wonderful author called Carol Depp, and she wrote a book called uh, The Resilient Gardener, <laughs> Gardening When It Counts. And her sense of humor is wonderful. And she talks about all sorts of things in this book. Like she talks from breeding your own vegetable varieties, the basics of that through cooking them, through adapting to adverse conditions, right? So it's a really engaging, interesting book that I enjoyed, you know, very much. Um, yeah, I love gardening west of the Cascades, because that's where I am. <laughs> you know, I love uh, Four Season Harvest, because who does not love the idea, if they're in a cold climate, of getting to harvest fresh vegetables from your garden and not having to, you know, freeze or can or preserve them in some other way. Um, I feel like I have more, but Passy, you want to? Uh, I would recommend Plant Reproductive Ecology Patterns and Strategies by John Levitt Dost and Leslie Levitt Dost. It's not about gardening. I just really like that book. 
Sounds like a page turner, based on the yeah. title alone. Oh, it's super, it's quite enthralling. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, Mago Atomico's question about uh, what are the most dangerous phototoxic plants to avoid in a garden? A garden. That sounds like a passing question. I don't avoid those. I garden them. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you really have to avoid it, a lot of plants, thankfully, don't cause poisoning issues to humans unless you put them in your mouth. Thankfully, yeah. most. Um, because plants are, they it's not like they want to kill you. They just really don't want you to eat them. Um, that being said, <laughs> There are a couple plants where if you're in their vicinity, in the right conditions, you can get hurt pretty bad. Uh, the man manchineal tree, I think that's the pronunciation, or I just butchered it. Uh, standing underneath that one in the rain, you can get acid burns. Jimpy-jimpy um, oh. uh, bush. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can get asthma or lung problems if you're in a room with it and it's not a well-circulated air, like, air supply. Um and then if you're in North America, there's, I think it's called either like giant hogweed or mm -hmm. hogweed. I, I think it's giant hogweed, right? Um, mm -hmm. That can cause chemical burns from just its pollen. If you handle it, you can get it even worse. But um, that one, even its pollen, and because it grows extremely tall and it's wind dispersed, it can be extremely dangerous. Uh and people brought them over here, and they thought that they would look really nice in gardens, which is why they brought them over here. And so now they're pretty invasive here. Mm -hmm. And so it's up on that. I believe that the, that giant hogweed is a big problem in the UK as well. It grows well there, and, and people are getting injured by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in order to get rid of it once it does start flowering, you do have to wear like a full basically hazmat suit with a respirator oh, wow. your entire body has to be covered you can't get it's uh the stuff that it like produces onto your skin because you'll get blisters and skin burns for you know weeks later yeah, so, yeah well be be careful out there <laughs> in the garden <laughs> gardening is dangerous apparently <laughs> yeah and aside from that you know just the obvious don't put it in your mouth uh unless you oh, know that's a good one yeah, that's the that's big just one. a good rule to live by. Super important. I don't follow it always. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. I think you'll starve if you follow it too closely, though. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's oh, a I'm good point. Oh, I'm crossing for the All right. Um, uh, Curry Swag has a yes or no question here. Uh, can I ever be truly rid of all the sp spider mites? I want to say yes, because I just found some on one of my plants, oh, no. and it will break my heart if it's a no. Um, but if you want to get rid of spider mites, you're going to have to take the plant out of the soil, repot it, um, like, like dump the soil, get that soil gone, what? sanitize the pot, or just, you know, junk it. Um, after you've repotted the plant, you want to make sure that you get rid of all of the spider mites that are on it using like insecticidal soaps or just 
better yet, insecticides. And then the thing is you have to be checking it daily for several weeks or even a couple months because depending on the species of spider mite, their eggs can remain dormant for weeks or months. And so the second that they hatch, you have to get rid of them because if they can stick around on that plant long enough, they'll just lay more eggs and it'll just continue your problem. Oof. Yeah, they suck. They suck a lot. I'm lucky with whatever species I have because all I do is spray with neem oil. I really drench it until it drips off. And maybe some of it goes into the potting mix and kills whatever's in there. But one treatment usually gets it for me. So, Wow. Uh, yeah. It's the only pest that I've really, if I actually do it in time, I can save the plant and get rid of them for the whole season. Love neem oil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Mago Atomico has another question here. Do you know some uh, nitrophile plant that supports really high concentrations of nitrates or ammonia in soil and water? It would be very impressive if there exists some plant so nitrophilic that it could literally be watered with cleaning ammonia. And it was good even uh, – it was good even rather than harmful. So uh, I don't know if there's some extremophiles that – love love uh nitrogen out there i really like this question and it's because it this question kind of it pokes at physiology of plants mm -hmm. and i'll explain why i'll explain why i really like it because of that so with ammonia ammonia's ph is around i think it's somewhere between 11 and 13 depending on the concentration and like the most alkaline soils on earth are only maybe 9.5 pH to around 10 tops, right? Plants actually like to acidify the soil they're in. And the thing is, if they're in soil that's too acidic for them or too alkaline for them, the proteins that are on their roots stop functioning properly. And so they can't take up proper like nutrients, either of the nutrients, say nitrogen or you know zinc or iron. And so... Because of that, they try and strike a balance with their own soil as they release different acidifying compounds to get them into a pH right around a range where they can take up as much nutrients as they can. So I want to say I don't think there is a plant that I know of or have heard of that can handle like ammonia because it's so alkaline. And then the other source of nitrogen for plants, which is I believe just nitrate salts, those are just too salty and too like they have too strong of an osmotic pull to soak like suck out all the water from the roots the roots can't actually get any of that kind of salt the nitrate salts into them and so in that environment they would just be it would be too salty and in the ammonia environment it would just be a little too alkaline i could be wrong and i would love to see a plant that could grow in that kind of environment but i think it's just a little too alkaline for them All right. Well, there there goes the dream, I guess. But uh, you know, hope springs eternal of the uh, using your cleaning ammonia for for there a quick new uh, watering. Yeah, yeah new plants discovered every day. Um. All right. So so uh, uh, EVM one twenty seven asks, why do people say that carnivorous plants are monsters? 
I think that's another passy question. Okay. So that that's a really interesting question, and I really like it uh, <laughs> because there, like, I heard in school forever ago that apparently when people first were finding out about like carnivorous plants, they were freaking out about them, thinking like, "Oh no, you know these things are monsters; they're dangerous." However. I actually found out recently that that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, at least as far as like Darwin is considered. Uh, Darwin, when he was first reading about um, Drosera, those are like those like mm. sticky plants that love to eat little bugs. He actually wrote in a letter to a friend, he wrote, I care more for Drosera than the origin of species. It's this wonderful plant, or rather most sagacious animal. I will stick up for Drosera to the day of my death. And so he really liked carnivorous plants, so Darwin definitely enjoyed them. But I think the other area where people might hear where people think plants are monsters, like carnivorous plants are monsters at least, uh, aside from like maybe the old botanists, uh, are just how like Every now and then they might find a skeleton of like a small rodent inside of a Nepenthes pitcher. And oh. when they first found out about that, they thought, oh, these plants kill animals. Oh, spooky. But what actually happens is Nepenthes release this one kind of fluid that's a laxative and it's full of sugars. And it'll attract different small animals to the lip of these pitchers to just lick up all these sugars but the laxative kicks in and it makes the animal actually just like defecate right into the pitcher and their poop is full of nutrients for the Nepenthes. So it's like a nice little trade kind of, I personally think the animal gets a little bit more out of it. Um, But every now and then an animal might fall in and if they fall in and they can't get out, they'll either drown or die and in poop water, which is like an added insult to injury. And then they get digested and their skeleton remains and people might come across that and think, the animal was killed intentionally by the plant when in fact it's actually just a random mistake almost. Science kids, it's really amazing. Stay in school. Yep. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, yeah, totally not monstrous. Um, very convincing. I like- okay. I also feel like I remember something about some kinds of tropical frogs laying their eggs in carnivorous plants but I don't quite remember yeah, I we'll have remember to ask Dr. Google yeah I know <laughs> purple pitcher plants actually frequently host mosquito larvae um, but they actually are also pollinated by mosquitoes and then there's a couple different other pitcher plants that not only do they host mosquito larvae but they also host wasp larvae and they host the wasp larvae to eat the mosquito larvae, and then defecate well inside of the pitcher. So it's a whole ecosystem. Yeah, so it's Google. (laughs) Thank you, Google. Um, Asia's tiniest frog lives in the Nepethes. I am terrible at pronouncing scientific names, so forgive me on that one. But yeah, so I don't know. I love love carnivorous plants, and there's such a diversity of them. Um, And they have been a little maligned, but they're not they're not as capable of killing, you know, rodents or other things as you'd think. And some things like to live in them. So, 
it's all part of the ecosystem, right? Yeah. All right. Yusuf asks about rooting rose cuttings. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is one of those questions or one of those topics that gets a lot of coverage and everyone it feels like has seen that image of sticking a rose from your bouquet into a potato and burying it. And uh, they're actually really not that hard to root. Um, and so like one of the things I do sometimes is a lot of times actually is I prune roses for my work. Right. And this uh, one of my clients had this rose that happened to be a rose that my sister wanted because it's this really nice climbing rose and she wanted a climbing rose and it was that particular variety. I was like, hey, mind if I take a few of these home? So I took those home, stripped off the leaves, put them in soil and ignored them. (laughs) And 50% of them with no further care grew. Like they grew roots, they grew leaves, they were ready to go, right? So if you don't do anything, 50% of them roughly, depending on conditions, will take but if you want a higher rate of success you can always use rooting hormone you can increase your rate of success by actually watching them and making sure the soil stays moist you know they're not actually hard to root so you don't need to stick a potato on the end and stick the whole thing in the ground and i kind of i'm pretty sure i read a mythbuster on this at one point and they were like well the potato is going to rot and be disgusting so you can just skip that part. Um, but yeah, really not hard. What I would suggest doing if you're trying to root roses is take a solid chunk, you know, six to eight inches long, strip off the leaves and bury two thirds to three quarters of the length in your rooting medium and keep that consistently moist and just be very patient. And it should grow. Like, (laughs) you know, even when I wasn't paying any attention at all and forgot to water, 50% of my starts took, you know? So if, and again, if you want to increase your success rate, just use some rooting hormone. It's pretty cheap. It lasts a long time and it can make a big difference for some of the harder to root plants. Okay. Um, So... Uh, we, uh, so, so, uh, Passy has a, uh, previous engagement, but I think we have time for one more question here, uh, before the, the end of the questions section, uh, what a uh, hyperspear asks, what plants can you use on a field of clay to make it more soily without the use of fertilizer over five to 10 years? Okay. So, Patsy, you can answer this if you want to, or I've actually done this. Oh, you've actually done this. Okay. Yeah, I've actually done this. Um, So, we moved into this place about five years ago. So, perfect timeline. And the front yard was utterly terrible. It was very awful uh, clay. It had, like, a quarter inch of, you know, dark organic matter and then it was just straight clay and so that's exactly what i have (laughs) right and so actually the first step that i would recommend 
is getting a big load of wood chips and putting those wood chips down thick, like at least four inches. Um, and you can go deeper than that if you have the material on hand. Um, and being patient, like if you do, ideally you do that in the fall and just ignore it all fall and winter and then start looking at it in spring. So what I did is I did that and then I planted the next year in part of the yard, I planted um, potatoes. And the reason why I planted potatoes is because you can put potatoes on the ground and then cover them up with mulch and they will make a harvest. <laughs> and so you could just bury them in organic matter. And, you know, over the course of the year, the soil biota, the worms and insects and all the rest are going to be incorporating all that organic matter into your soil over time. And it will actually change the soil below it. I've had people tell me, oh, no, it won't do that. Yes, it will. I know because I've I've dug holes in my yard and compared before and after. Um, it increases, well, you, uh, you all know about organic matter. It increases the amount of water that can be held, the nutrients that can be held. It changes the texture of the soil. It's all great. Um, and then the other part, what I did is I put down leaves. Well, I left leaves there, if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> I left the leaves there from the fall. And in the spring, I sowed a mix of crimson clover and forage daikon radish because the daikon radish has been used by multiple people <laughs> um, because it'll grow the really big, deep roots. And then you leave them there and they rot. And now there's, you know, a root for infiltration of moisture and bugs and all that stuff into the soil. And it really does work like when I started it was that terrible stuff I described and now if I go dig in that it looks pretty close to decent soil <laughs> like it's not perfect yet but you know now five years later I have happy raspberries I have what all do I have out there I have kiwis I have raspberries I have gooseberries I have kale I have sun chokes strawberries were very happy my plum trees very happy so it does work that the is biggest, amazing right and and the biggest thing is that you either depending on how you see it you either need to have a lot of patience or you need to be extremely lazy <laughs> like I, don't, I don't think that's lazy at all <laughs> yeah so the potatoes do you leave them in after mm -hmm. they're done oh, no, to no, no, no. rot down no, 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 I harvest the potatoes. You harvest, I didn't harvest them, okay. the daikon. Yeah. And again, it's just great because you throw the potato down and you put a bunch of hay on it and ignore it until it's time I to harvest. I always thought potatoes needed really soft soil to grow in, but clay is hard. Yeah. No, uh, and sorry, guys. I mean, like it I works. I have to get going, so I'm sorry to oh, Thank you, Patsy. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. I hope you guys yeah. have a great evening. You too. you too. See ya. Thanks, Bassy. But yeah, my parents actually um, did the same method, but a bit different. They <laughs> they moved from the east side of the mountains, which I should clarify is Yakima, which is a very 
rich growing region. It's got volcanic soils. It's where like most of the apples come from, like around Yakima. They moved from Yakima to a small town on the Olympic Peninsula where the soil is incredibly acidic and oh. very much clay. And I remember the first year we were there, they put potatoes down and then they put entire hay bales on top of the potatoes. And the potatoes oh. grew up through the hay bales and we got to eat potatoes and the soil underneath was like so much better the next year. So That's yeah, fast. I, I thought it would take a lot longer to change soil like that. I mean, it's not going to be perfect. You know, it's not going to mm -hmm. be perfect in the first year. But if you can be patient and if you can give it a lot of carbon, uh, a lot of soil organic carbon, and if you can really not ever work it when it's wet, your clay soils can be amazing. I'm so guilty of working it when wet. I just... <laughs> Don't have the patience. I gotta, gotta <laughs> do my gardening. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I think more people should look into is no-till gardening or no-dig yeah. gardening and the techniques they use because it works especially well for, uh, for clay soils. Like, I don't know. I've never lived on sandy soils, so I don't know how it works for those. But for clay soils, it's a really good idea. I hear a lot of good things about that. For me, uh, it hasn't exactly worked, but mm -hmm. I haven't tried it on a large scale. Maybe, you know, a couple dead plants here or there isn't representative of it. Yeah. Well, I would say that <laughs> I could talk for a very long time about clay soil, but I think um, I think it's not on the scale of one or two plants, it's like you look at your yard and you're like, ah, yeah. I have so much clay soil. I'm just going to yeah. cover it with organic matter and ignore it for six months. And afterwards, it'll be a lot better. The issue I have with the clay is the very cold, wet winters where mm -hmm. the plants, if I plant into the clay, they just, they can't handle that much moisture. Right. And that's, that's why the patient... Because <laughs> you yes. have to hold off on planting those guys until you have clay soil that drains because it has that much organic matter in it. Yeah. Although, you know, I don't know what your subsoil is like, you know. So that's one of the other things that I feel like needs to get talked about more is how all advice is really dependent on the conditions. Because, like, absolutely. You, you know, can give advice uh, from you know the kindest reaches of your heart thinking you're telling somebody just the best information but that's based on your experience and your climate with your soil and you don't actually know how things work in their situation yep yep all right uh well uh thank you for for the very in-depth analysis of clay soil <laughs> it's a problem that we struggle with here uh and uh a lot of people uh probably on uh listening have have the the clay soil uh <laughs> the clay Blue. soil blight i guess <laughs> oh, yeah okay. 
Uh, and uh, so uh, thank you, Zappy, and uh, thanks again to to Passy. He uh, he had a previous engagement, but um, uh, it's been very informative answering some of these questions. And we didn't oh, get to all the questions this so time. Much. But uh, but maybe maybe next time we can we can go over some more. And yes, uh, I'm tapping my fingers in a menacing fashion. <laughs> next time, uh, yes, next time. But uh, now it's time for the uh, riddle section. Do we need a fun tune here? To introduce the riddles. Um, I we, wrote we up can... some. Got anything good in your bag of tricks? I think that's perfect. Thank you. So I wrote up some riddles that I am going to, well, SB is going to read them out, and I will paste them into event chat, and we'll see how well you guys do figuring out the answers, and if you need help, we will turn to Zappy for her expertise. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, so uh, the first riddle is tears in your eyes, my white life Blood is strong. Always wear gloves. To this genus, I belong. What is this talking about? You can puzzle it out in the uh, in the event chat here. Mm. See if uh, see see what your your gardening knowledge has um, has wrote. You can just uh, you, you can just uh, try try an event chat chat and uh make make some good guesses there see if anybody can get it it's not like this <laughs> zappy do you think you know this one um i have a i have a guess yeah euphoria that's correct. <laughs> oh, were oh, you? Uh, you know, I was gonna say it. Well, we can give you that. Uh, of course, so, uh, a little bit slow. Well, maybe, maybe you'll get the next one, Zeno. Yes. That okay. Begins. So the uh, the the next riddle: uh, tunneling paths in appendages green. I'm just a youngin, but my work is obscene. Oh my. <laughs> we'll give the uh the the chat a little bit of time to to try some uh some answers here. Not strawberries. It's not an eggplant. No, definitely not eggplant. Do you guys need some uh, hints? Zappy? Zappy, you have any ideas for this one? Why don't we give them another 30 seconds or so? 
All right. Oh, you're very generous. I think I know, but. Think about what appendages might mean. Any ideas what appendages is talking about? Not fingers, in this case. Think plant appendages. Also, not plant toes, you know. Oh. Plant toes? I didn't say plant toes. Oh, Zeno. I'm tired. Let's just say that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> chop, chop, people. Zappy's tired. <laughs> Think you're gonna have to take this one, Zappy. Uh, I see someone typing. Let's just get them. Ha! Why is would it, it have an it, appendage? Is it leaf miners? It is. You got it. Excellent. How did you get leaves? Also, I was very nervous about this. <laughs> oh, no, I should be the one nervous because I wrote these, and I, you know, some of them are of questionable quality. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, know you're you're two for two on the 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 riddle answers here. Let's yes. try. Uh, let's see if you can go for number three. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, that's so, some square stemmed cousins are rather tame. Others aggressive. Say my family name. So what's the family name? So you got to pick the the. I said one, but I did say the scientific name. <laughs> Yeah, what's the family name? It's a good, yes, good point. Uh, I, I, I don't think pumpkins right are now. in that family. What'd you say? I don't think pumpkins are in that family, Bubs. No, that's cucurbit AC. <laughs> and again, do not go off of my pronunciation. There we Ooh. go. Yep, that's correct. Lamey AC. Did I pronounce that right? I think it's Lamey ACI. Oh I boy! Yeah, <laughs> if my high uh, school Latin has told me anything, <laughs> um, apparently mint is cringe. So maybe we should Just move on. Just keep in mind, thyme yeah, so and rosemary—all those are in the same family. Also, basil. <laughs> I love basil. Bubs, I thought you liked all that stuff. You were in love with your what was it? Uh, <laughs> lemon bomb. And oh, the lavender family too. Interesting. Oh, uh, R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> lemon bomb. Oh. Uh, unfortunate. I, I uh, all right, let, let's move on. Yes, let's move on. Yeah, let, let's move on. Okay, so yep. Uh, the next riddle. Um, like many in Utah, I've got a big brood, but I cloned myself in an amorous mood. Let's see if uh, let's see what the, uh, wow. the chat chat can get for this one. I cloned myself. I, I've got a hit oh, for this one oh, too. If the uh, if if the uh, the chat can't get it. I, I don't think they'll need a hint though. This one's uh this one's pretty good. I'm curious to know what your hint is. Mm, yes. <laughs> no, it is not the heck, Bobs. <laughs> oh. 
so uh so the hint for this one is uh I believe you can answer by uh telling us a specific creature like a oh, a individual yeah. as opposed to the rest of these Salamander? I'm not sure. You know, go uh, back no, to this, the, this is referring to a plant. This is referring to a plant. Oh, no. Sad face. Now I'm heartbroken. No. Turn that frown upside down. Uh, this is a, this is a fam- somewhat famous plant. Oh, yeah. I've got three kinds of them. <laughs> I need to give away a lot. I don't, I don't think... Utah is known for their bananas. Um, I don't know. Oh, no. It's not a potato. All right. Closer ish um, with the hens and chicks. P O F O S. Pothos? Um, oh. okay. Uh, Z- Zappy, you, you got an idea for this one? Is. It there's so many people typing. I want to get them. Yeah, what? There we go. Uh, is that the correct answer, Mother of Millions? No, it's not. No, no, not no. That's not what we're thinking Utah? about. Oh, was it? I I'm gonna have to think again. It is to Utah. I thought you were making a joke about how big their families are. Um, no, totally. This is a this is a particular hmm. individual. You could call it maybe a individual. Hmm. That is native. Okay. While Utah. one of these answers, Mormons may be uh, something that's native to Utah, aloe definitely is not. <laughs> uh, I I think uh, you're gonna have to give them the answer. Ig, I think so. The answer oh, is no. Aspen. Oh, it's the Pando, okay. uh, the oh, Pando Aspen Grove in Utah. It's uh considered to be maybe a single organism. By, yeah. Uh, it's all it's, it's all interconnected. Uh, all right, so uh, well, ma- maybe uh, you'll have uh, better luck with this one. Uh, I don't. Think all right, so. uh, uh, <laughs> no. once May comes, but <laughs> uh, w- once May comes, mon frère, mon fille, what tiny blooms will you give to me? I feel like this is getting more esoteric. Hmm. Way blooms. It's not crab uh-huh. myrtle. What's you do not eat them. Actually, I don't mind if you guys use Google. As long as you can figure out what the puzzle is asking for, that's really the big challenge, I think. <laughs> Uh, are these were these yeah. ordered in in uh, from from easy to hard? No, they were just in the order that I made them up in. 
But maybe, you know, oh. I ran out of good ideas or something. Oh, no. It's not a listen. It is Lily of the Valley. Congratulations, Evie. Ah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was stuck on the French. I was like. It, it's a flower given a holiday, I believe, in France, where Lily of the Valley oh. is given. What what holiday was it? Oh, uh, well, then now, now I have to Google. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, mo moving on. Um, so it's May 1st. This, it's May 1st. This one. Oh, May Day. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, next riddle is my ladies are stinky. My color turns oh. gold. Some take me in pill form. Fossils prove that I'm old. Uh-huh. Bubs, uh, Is that a Bubs. knowing? Uh-huh. I think so. Bubs has an inkling here. I think Bubs is distracted. I, not durian. Uh, durian? It's not durian. It's not durian. It is a... Although it is quite it is Durian oh is stinky. I've I've heard. I've not had a durian. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's an interesting. Not experience. cordyceps. Not oh. cheap placenta. It is ginkgo. Evie got it again. Oh, oh, yeah. Zeno, Zeno, close so behind close. there. Yes, very. <laughs> All right. Uh, next riddle. Uh, this one's, uh, this one's a little bit different. Looking at him through 16 by 9 on a warm Friday night with his trowel and canines. I think Mother of Pearl is going to get this one. <laughs> They're on the right track. They're puzzling it out. Congratulations, Mother of Pearl. Monty Don. Yes, it is Monty Don, the famous uh, <laughs> uh, dog-owning gardener from the UK. Oh. And his show airs on Fridays during the warm season months. Mm. It's Gardener's World, the show. <laughs> uh, which, which is the reason I subscribe to BritBox. Uh, not sponsored by BritBox, by the way, but we're always looking for... Uh, <laughs> For them to uh, approach us, please, uh, please DM me after this if you you work for Birdbox. All right, so uh, the next the next riddle is uh, pink, red, and orange are so tasty and sweet. My metabolism races. I hum. I don't tweet. Um, ah. Mm. Mm hmm. Not citrus. <laughs> uh, why would citrus hum? There this, we go. Uh, hummingbird, yes. Bear beer? Uh, yep. Yes, yes. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, I like this one, uh, that, that last uh, uh, riddle there, because this was that was the only one that I, I got. So 
but, but now, uh, now we're on to the next, uh, the next one here. This is the last riddle. So uh, think, think hard. Put your uh, little gray cells to work. And um, my seedy complexion is dimpled and blushed. If you were to eat me, my ah. Akeens would be flushed. Blackberry and strawberry are both acceptable answers for this. Congratulations, Zeno. You got two of the three answers I could think that would fit this. <laughs> I think raspberry is another one. You guys did great. Um, and I'm very happy that my riddles apparently didn't suck. So another pat on the back for me. <laughs> good job. Some people figured Yay. them out, yes. So... Uh... <laughs> yeah okay well uh that's uh that leads us to the end of the show so um we want to thank uh our panel uh zappy and uh and and passy really departed well. passy but not in that way <laughs> I, I don't think uh don't think that's thank the you right guys so much yeah it was fun learned so much from yeah. you and I enjoyed it. I was nervous, Good. but this is great. I love it. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, totally. And thanks to all the the listeners out there and thanks for playing along with the the riddle section and we hope to see you again for the next BBQ. Woo! Yay!